Hi everyone, this is Matt Price, host of Dynasty Game Night. My co-host John Bosch and I created this podcast for one reason, to focus on fun. After all, fun is the reason we all started playing fantasy football in the first place. I love games of all sorts, card games, board games, video games, really any kind of game you can think of. So one day, John and I decided it was time for a podcast where we just play games. You might learn something along the way, but you won't find much hard-hitting analysis here. Check out all the other incredible podcasts DLF has to offer for that sort of thing. On Dynasty Game Night, our primary focus is to entertain. So if you like playing games or watching game shows, this might just be the podcast for you. We'd love for you to give it a listen and play along with the contestants and maybe even win a chance to be on the show. Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at PA Howdy on Twitter. I am here all by my lonesome once again as the solo host of the Dynasty Crossroads. Um, I'm hoping to get Ray back on pretty soon and some other people as well. Stompy recently came out of dark mode <laughs> and uh, said sorry and uh, asked if there was a better time we could record together. So some interesting stuff. Um, unfortunately, I am, I don't know, how do you describe my life right now? Lost at sea? Uh, no, um, found at sea. Either way, I'm in the middle of the ocean, just kind of being buffeted back and forth by a lot of stuff right now. I work uh, three three different things, uh, nights, weekends. Like, I don't really know what day it is, but I do know it's Super Bowl day. So this podcast is badly timed and about three days late. Uh, I have to apologize, guys. I didn't see the onslaught that was going to happen this week. I'm just kind of... Um, in eyes front and walk forward mode right now. But uh, I have found time to do some interesting prospect talk. And I know it's Super Bowl day. I should be talking about the props I've already bet. But I tried to log into my account today and they asked for my driver's license. And I don't have that <laughs> to upload. So it looks like I might not be able to make a bunch of prop bets. Um, which will make working during the Super Bowl even worse. So that'll be fun. But... I don't know, maybe you only get to this podcast after the Super Bowl and you'll be sick of it, tired of it, don't want to talk about it, and you'll be looking for some other content maybe. So hopefully some prospect talk and getting ready for the 2020 draft will be will be something you'll be interested in. If not, push pause, come back later, and I will see you then. <laughs> um, just have to apologize about my timing lately. I haven't been able to get my off-season groove on just yet, but... If we are past the Super Bowl, if we are looking towards the future, then might be a good time to set some grand rules on uh, the type of things we're looking at. If you're using my market share database, don't have to, but it is free. Even if you just want to scroll on it for fun, you can download your own copy and do that. Um, then that will be useful because I'll be referring to a lot of the stats I've got in there. Um, I do try to describe them more fully. When you go there, I have a tab called... Formulas and results, uh, which has a description and also the exact formulas I use for each of the metrics. Um, the stats, obviously, you don't need to know how to calculate a percentage and you don't need to know how to calculate, you know, yards. But um, the ones that I th I'm using formulas for, I mostly list. As for results, you can see the number of players I tested, so my sample. 
where they came from, so their year range and who they were. Mostly it's just everyone between 2003 and 2017, if I have data on them for the metrics I'm using, or the stats I'm using to make the metric. Um, it usually works out between three and 400 players. Um, what else? Uh, oh, I have my R-squared results in there. Now, they're not professional. I'm not a professional statistician, but when I run what I have learned of how to test how predictive a formula is, I test against points per game over the first three years, and you can see how well the stat correlates or is connected to their points per game through the first three years. Scores rank from minus one to plus one, being 100% crap, and 100% perfect, if I remember right. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, to give you some context around R-squared values, if you're looking at them, draft capital, when tested purely with decent sample size and all that stuff, depending on the position you're looking at, it is about 0.2, ooh, depending on who's doing the testing and what you're testing, let's just say 0.25 to 0.28. That's the normal range I see of how predictive just drafting is or draft capital is now what that means is if you drafted players in their exact nfl draft order they would connect to how well they score in their first three years on a points per game basis about 28 percent so you can convert it to percentage to translate it but it's it's a complicated mathematical formula it's not really like a likelihood percentage or anything like that it's just how well the numbers correlate and sometimes you know points per game does a fairly good job of highlighting the players we want in their first three years of their career, but it's by no means perfect. Plenty of players break out in their third year, or some break out in their fourth or fifth if they're not drafted in the first three rounds especially. So it's not perfect measure. I just wanted to give myself some context and basis for whether a metric was trustable, not trustable, predictive, descriptive, that kind of stuff. And so I laid all that out in the formulas and ranks tabs too. Any other questions about that, hit up a statistician on Twitter. There's a bunch of them, or me, I guess, and I'll try and answer it as well. All right, so just to get uh, some background, uh, running back and wide receiver is what I'm going to concentrate on today. So I'm going to start with wide receiver because I actually did something, uh, I, I haven't talked about running back much, and I kind of want to make that the emphasis of the show, so I want to knock off wide receiver fairly quickly. So one of the things I've been able to make uh, this last week while being buffeted by the current and the tide and the waves um, is something I'm calling right now uh, market share of yards over expectation or MSYOE. Yes, I know us nerds love our acronyms and you don't have to like learn a new metric. I know everyone's throwing out four of these every week. I try to do this very, very rarely and I modify it rather than create a new one because I hate how many metrics there are, so many of them are junk as well, um, when I, according to my testing. So I have a pre-draft and a post-draft model. I have a production score, which I have for every position, so I adjust it based on the expectation of the positions, and, uh, and so I kind of like having one number that I can use for all positions. Um, I have YOA. I know that sounds funny. I couldn't come up with a better name. It's just yards over average. Um, again, I'm not going to talk about that too much today, but it's basically, you know, the, if you've been on my Twitter or re read my articles about prospects and you see the graphs where I plot um, wide receivers' yards uh, compared to the average of successful NFL players by age, your is basically the numerical description of those graphs. Um, I, do, I do it for dominator rating as well, but I'm, I'm not... I prefer yards, so, and dominator includes a touchdown, so I try and just concentrate on the Yoa rather than the Doa. 
but again, stupid names uh, intentionally in the in that case. Um, I also have a uh, obviously we have breakout age. I've recently uh, included breakout age if we increase the level of breakout. So breakout age is typically if a player has a dominator rating. Everyone understands dominator rating, so I just use that twenty percent or more. Um, in the that season that they're aged 18, 19, or 20. So whatever age they are, when they finally get to 20% of their team's offense, that's the age of their breakout age. Um, Rotoviz has for a while been pushing that we should actually increase that limit to 30% instead of 20%. So I just included that in my base model, just so we can start to see what the differences are and if it helps or hurts for the way I or you maybe evaluate players. Um, Rotoviz likes it, so I'm going to include it. Now, this other thing that I've just made, M-S-Y-O-E, yeah, crap, I know. But uh, it's market share over expectations. So the expectation is the average market share of yards that the top two players on each team in their conference hold. So if the first two options of each team in the MAC conference um, average... Uh, so, you know, that would be however many teams there are times two. If that number of players average 20% market share of yards and the player you're looking at gets 22% market share of yards, then he's 2% over the expectation of that conference. Now, I'm using just the first two options right now. That's something I might adjust to just the first option, or I might adjust to the top 12 in each conference or the top 24 in each conference. I don't know. I'm playing around with it right now. But it's just to give you an idea of how productive they were for their team compared to their conference level. Um, as always, I'm not looking for something that's more predictive. I think production already really well explains um, how productive and how likely a player is to be good in the NFL. I think we've got that. Um, some people prefer different stats, but it does a pretty good job. It just buffets players around, depending on which stat you're looking at. And what I'm looking for is a way to uh, adjust something so that the ranking of those players that are productive and non-productive gets better, like Odell Beckham being below Jordan Matthews. Like, um, I, I, wanna, I want the ceiling player to be the highest, even if he doesn't hit and the one below him does hit, if you know what I mean. I just want it to rank a little bit better. And so that's what I'm always in search of these days. I know lots of people want adjustments for conference level because they think it makes logical sense that playing in different conferences is harder. But here's the thing. I don't know who you're looking for. I don't know who you think we missed on with production that we would that was low in production because he had hard competition in his conference or on his team. I don't find the player that you're thinking of or whoever it is, is thinking of that we missed. Production, I just wrote that outlier article for DLF. Three players over the last 20 years had what you could easily call bad production. I mean, there were some highlights on two of those players. They had 40% college dominates in their last season. Um, but And the other one is Michael Thomas. The, but just to be generous, I can take it to six if you want to include players that didn't play wide receiver in college. But I don't think we would call a player bad or likely to be bad if his, because of his production if he was busy playing quarterback like Julian Edelman. What we would say, and what I say, is I have no idea how good that guy is. He's never played the position. I, don't, I can't judge him. So three players that played wide receiver in college um, didn't miss significant time. Vincent Jackson missed a little, and he played at a lower conference early. But he played enough that I probably would not have liked his production. 
um, then my metrics wouldn't either. Same with um, Brandon Marshall and Michael Thomas. So those are the three guys that production didn't have anything positive to say about. Well, it had a little positive, but let's just say anything positive to make it, you know, to give us at least three. None of those guys looked bad because they were in a bad conference or because they had, you know, A.J. Green on their team. They didn't have significant competition on their teams. So adjusting it for competition on their team wouldn't have helped out with those three guys. Adjusting it for conference wouldn't have helped out with those three guys. So who are we looking at if we're trying to adjust competition level? Who are we trying to find? The only one that I'm vaguely interested in is Jarvis Landry, who came out well in my production model, but not as well as I would like for a player of that caliber in the NFL. Now, one of the reasons for that may well be that OBJ was on the team. Both of their production may have been higher if they weren't there together. So it's fair to question that. But OBJ came out in top five in my model. And when you looked individually at his production graph, he looked fantastic. And so did Jarvis Landry. So I don't think we would have missed on them, or I would have missed them because of their production. In fact, I didn't. I like both. I liked Odell a lot more. I like to mock Jarvis Landry's use in the NFLs for a little while. And I've gotten over it. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's not really what I think I'm thinking of this for. I'm trying to find something that helps or, in fact, ranks players better in terms of their ceiling and floor in the NFL. So far, I don't have a production metric that does that at all accurately. It just gives me a very good sample, very good likelihood of who is going to or who could hit in the NFL. And I want a ranking, damn it. So, uh, sorry for that little rant, but that's what I'm trying to search for. If I find uh, a, a need to adjust for players that get left behind because of... Then I'll use it for that too, but that's not what I have. All right, the other things I've recently added for both running back, wide receiver, and tight end are yards per team pass attempt. For running back, it's both rushing and receiving yards. For wide receiver and tight end, it's just receiving yards. Um, I'm including that because play, players uh, and also analysts like uh, Anthony Amico and JJ Zacharyson, they all rave about yards per team pass attempt. I've never found it great or better than market share. But if it is, I want it in there, and you guys probably want to know as well if you're interested in this stuff. So I finally fixed those columns, and with the next database update, you'll be able to see yards per team pass attempt, both by age and also their best and final season. I ran ahead and added those calculations, even though you could do it yourself with the database, I'm just so they're quick reference. All right, so those are the things I've added at wide receiver. To talk about what's predictive, which of all this junk it is most predictive for their points per game based on my initial testing. Well, obviously my post-draft model is better. That's that's my favorite model. That's what the one I'm waiting to look at after the draft, after the combine, after after all the moments of identifying data um, come out this off-season. My post-draft model is my personal highest testing um, model, and I get uh, well, draft capital gets about 0.2 in this current test I have implanted in here. Again, it's not important to think about the exact number. Well, it is. But, I mean, I, I think about it more in terms of which is higher, which is lower, what's the trend, right? Because my testing won't be perfect. If we add more players, the numbers moves around. But draft capital in this particular test that I have plugged in is 0.22% uh, predictive. Um, that's just looking at draft round. My wide receiver post-draft model is 0.25. So it's slightly better identifying good players for the first three years of their career than just using draft capital, 
Wow, so little better? Yeah, well, that's what we're dealing with. We do all this work for a slight 3, 4, 5% edge um, over everyone else. That's, that's, yeah, you kind of have to get used to that being a good thing. Um, next most predictive thing I have for wide receivers currently in here, and I tested all of it. Um, and again, to give you some context, a range of predictiveness, draft capital in this particular test is 0.22 or 22% predictive. Um, let's see, one of the worst things that you could look at, the least predictive. Um, I'm going to slide over here to the combine numbers because the combine numbers are the worst single numbers to help you predict who's going to get what points per game in the NFL. Um, Spark is actually the worst thing I've ever tested uh, for predicting how well a player is going to do in their first three years, but I don't have, I, I deleted that column because it's so useless. Um, the lowest one I've got in here is for wide receivers. By the look of it, it's going to be shuttle. The shuttle time is like 0.6, so 6% predictive of who's better and worse or going to be better and worse in the NFL. So that's your range of predictiveness, 6% to 22% being on the high end, and everything else in between is great. Um, or more or less valuable for looking at wide receivers. All right. And that's that's my entire spiel on the combine. None of those numbers. None of them. Not not even that one. Stop it. Stop it. None of them. <laughs> None of them are predictive of who's going to do well in the NFL by themselves. As I said with Ray in the last episode, um, they're very good for Brighton context, a style of how players play. BMI is a really interesting stat. Um, especially when you consider longevity and injury history, height, weight, these have great thresholds. 40 time has decent thresholds. But by themselves, if you're just looking at a player and trying to use their combine metrics to predict how good they are, terrible. They're the worst things you can try to use. Sorry, I was surprised too. Anyway, um, all right. On the other end of the scale, or in the middle of the scale, um, right now, Doa, even though I recently dismissed it because it's got touchdowns earlier in this episode, uh, that's actually one of the predictive metrics I have in the database for wide receivers, shortly followed by pretty much all the others. Um, Doa is around 16% predictive. Average Dominator is 14%, well, 14.5. Um, average MS Yards is 14%. Average Yards Dominator, which is, is actually another thing I made using receptions and yards instead of receptions and touchdowns. That's around 14.5. They all kind of, all of my metrics come in around 14 to 16 percentage, with um, my pre-draft model, production score, YOA, MS yards over expected, the one I just created, and um, DOA a little bit as well, being um, slightly more predictive than both, between 15 and 16 percent. So those are the ones I really like. Um, as you know, no one number is what I use. I, I try to create a complete picture of how productive a player was. Then you look at who he is with the combine. Then you look at where he's going with uh, draft capital. That's that's the three-tiered system there. Um, but in terms of which of these numbers are more important than the others for fantasy, those are the ones I concentrate on. I put them in green. I put them at the very front of the tab, the ones that I find the most useful um, for doing this kind of evaluation. Interestingly enough, best receiving yards per pass attempt and last um, so the last season, receiving yards per pass attempt, that one Anthony Amico likes, it's right there in the mix with 14, 13 to 14% uh, for each of the columns. 
Um, so again, I know you don't want to get too nerdy and memorize all those numbers. Again, I put them at green and I put them at front. And you should know it's less than draft capital for any single one of them, except for the post-draft models. Um, but significantly higher than combine metrics or dominator rating by itself or the receiving or the raw stats. I actually test the raw stats too. For example, yards, total yards, receiving yards, um, about 10%. So, you know, 5 to 6% less than most of my metrics. Receptions per game is about 8.5% predictive. Re just simple total number of receptions, about 7% predictive. These things don't tell you a lot if they tell you anything as raw stats. And that's why we try to make things out. So, yeah, market share um, of yards over expected. Check it out in my database if you're interested. Um, just to do a quick, you know, what, what did it say about this wide receiver class? Very good question. If I sort by market share of receiving yards, um, it did manage to put uh, Kenny Galladay above Corey Davis, by the way. That's one of the things I've already noticed in testing it. Um, anyway, um, the players who come out as having a market share of yards, an average market share of yards, are over-expected for their conference level. Same players, again, because production already identifies. But anyway, the players we've been talking about already. But um, Antonio Golden Gandhi is actually has a higher percentage in the uh, IND conference? Indianapolis conference? Independent conference. That's one I remember. He actually had about 11% more than the average for the top two options um, in that conference. Tyler Johnson had 9% more than expected for his conference. KJ Hamler was 6% over expected for his conference. Justin Jefferson, 5%. Brian Edwards, 3%. Jalen Regor, 3%. CD Lamb, 1%. And LaVisca Sheenort, someone that came up when we were talking with Ray, um, he was just like 0.1% <laughs> above expected um, in the Pac-12. Uh, what does that mean? Hard to say right now. Obviously, the same players keep being identified as productive for their teams, Edwards, Regor, Lamb. Um, I think, ultimately, what we're saying is being 1% to 3% over-expected in the uh, Big 12 and the SEC is much more impressive than being 12 or 11% over-expected in, in the Independent Conference for Andy, uh, Antonio Gandhi-Golden. I don't think it's doing much to compare them, but it does tell you something about them and their situations. And again, Antonio Gandhi-Golden only had one situation to play in. You can't ask him to play in the SEC. He, it wasn't an option not to. He did what you would expect a good player to do if that was the case, right? Um, and seeing Tyler Johnson in the Big Ten come up his average market share of yards being 9% higher than the conference expectation. That's good. Um, I also like seeing KJ Hamler and Justin Jefferson point, uh, show up here a little bit higher than uh, Lamb and um, Regor. I mean, both those guys played in the Big Ten, so that's significant. Oh, Justin Jefferson, I'm sorry, he played in the SEC by the look of it. Um, again, Regor and Lamb are easily, and Edwards are easily at the top of probably most ranks right now, um, with, along with Tyler Johnson. But Antonio Ganegon continues to make the case, right? Um, anyone I notice is significantly below that's interesting. Michael Pittman who um, Denzel Memes both came out, you know, between 1% and 5% under conference average. Um, they're players we mentioned with Ray. I still want to look into them a little bit more. Uh, Henry Ruggs was 8%. 
um, below expected. I want to create a number that weighs them compared to their competition on their same team as well, but I can't quite find the logic of it. I mean, some of these guys are their, the wide receiver ones of their team, some are wide receiver twos. So if I just compare them to the wide receiver ones, sometimes I'm comparing the player to themselves. I need a way to identify who to compare them to, but that's a spreadsheet problem. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll work on that soon. All right, um, skipping over to running back. Uh, I've already told you I've included yards per team pass attempt, so you can check that out for um, running backs as well. But, and the subject of this episode, what I thought would be the most interesting prospect talk today, I actually created a new pre-draft model. So a model I can talk about right now without having to see much else. And it should improve with the combine, for reasons I'll tell you. But um, since I'm doing predictiveness, um, I may as well mention what's predictive about running back, I guess. Uh, again, not the combine. <laughs> combine tends to be some of the worst data as single numbers predicting points per game, you know, because it doesn't matter. But um, it is useful and you can be used to be predictive. Again, that's a confusion that we got in two years ago, I think. But anyway, uh, the most predictive metrics are the ones you should really look at, are like average total dominator, max total dominator. Age tends to be less of a concern the minute you get to running back. If you want a combine metric or something you can make a combine metric out of, weight-adjusted speed score is fairly decent. Um, you know, again, the numbers are fairly similar to um, wide receiver, but draft capital tends to be more predictive. So let me give you the context range again. Draft round for running backs is about 30% run through the same tests that I just did for wide receivers. So 8% more predictive than for wide receivers. So draft capital is therefore more important for, uh, or tells you more about who's going to be successful for running back than it does for wide receivers. Again, that falls through the logic I've been talking about, right? Most of my ideas come from what I have actually found. So that shouldn't be a surprise. Um, draft pick like the literal number if you're picked 93rd overall versus being picked in the third round. Interestingly enough, draft pick is always less predictive than draft round unless you're looking at tight end. Isn't that weird? Tight end, it matters if you're drafted 10 spots earlier or 10 spots later, more than what round you're in. Weird, but true. Anyway, we're talking about running backs. So um, my post-draft model is the best I've got for running backs, or was until recently, um, it was less predictive than draft capital, yay, which means it's essentially useless, it wasn't adding any signal, and that's why I've, I've been telling you I you know, don't trust my running back models as far as I can throw them, and I wanted to make new ones, so I have. Um, outside of that, production score, again, is in that 15% range where most of my metrics come out for wide receiver, um, best yards per team pass attempt and last yards per team pass attempt, slightly less predictive than my production score, but both interesting and um, making the case that I should look in uh, to yards per team pass attempt a little bit more. I don't understand why pass attempt matters running back, and yet um, if you look at the best and the last, they're almost as predictive as one of my favorite metrics that I can use at all positions, which is production score, which is something I made and I'm proud of. But there you go. Um, college dominator, l let me tell you about that for wide receiver as well, because everyone, everyone asks me about college dominator, and I always end up, knowing more about Dominator than I want to, because I've really kind of moved on. Um, re college Dominator for wide receivers is about 11% predictive. Like, almost everything we make outside of that is better. College Dominator is interesting information. I'm not poo-pooing the stat. Lots of people use it to great effect. Even And per-game Dominator, as I've mentioned, is worse when I test it anyway. 
Um, so I'm kind of done with dominator. But a co- college dominator for running backs, I do a rushing dominator, just looking at their rushing production, yards and touchdowns. And I also do something called total dominator, which I don't know if it's a thing anywhere else, but I combine the receiving and the rushing production, yards and touchdowns. Same logic, same making the average of the best in last years. Um, and I create something called total dominator. The total dominator is around 14% predictive, so in that production score or yards per team pass attempt range. Um, college dominator, just using rushing, um, is about 12%. Again, it's not something I'm going to pay a lot of attention to because it falls down to other things. Weight-adjusted speed score, though, I like it because it's a physical combination. I do think that's important for running backs, and it's about as predictive uh, slightly less predictive than college dominators. So weight-adjusted speed score actually made it into both of my models. That's my favorite physical metric for running backs. All right, so that's the range. You can just, I presume lots of you fast-forward through it, and God bless you for doing it. Um, but if you're interested in the numbers, there they are. Um, what I recently made was a new pre-draft model, so I don't need draft capital to run the calculation. However, it does include weight-adjusted speed score, as I just said, I'd need to know their heights and their speeds before I can calculate weight-adjusted speed score, and until the combine, I don't have most of that data in, at all, let alone in my model. So before I have weight-adjusted speed score, I use the average for running backs drafted in the first three rounds, so a positive number. Um, but yeah, just basically an average, um, and that will change after the combine. So the new pre-draft model will actually improve when we get to the combine, and I think that's kind of cool too. Um, my old model just my old pre-draft model just to give you an idea of what i was using i was using age i was using market share of rushing yards the difference between the market share of rushing yards and the market share of uh receiving yards and receptions to give me an idea of how productive they were as a receiver i was also using the combination of the uh, the total dominator as i just described um and their best seasons and their last seasons in market share of rushing touchdowns and yards i was using a lot but it wasn't helping out a lot um as i mentioned uh, my post-draft model wasn't great my pre-draft model was absolute crap so my new model actually comes out as 30 percent r squared but i haven't tested it on a draft class that wasn't included in the numbers i used to create it yet so i don't know what its real r squared number is but it is um, in the same run on the same test, and my previous model was about 18%. This one's 30%. That's significantly better, in other words. Um, what am I using it? I'm using their total touches. Interestingly, it's a very marginal adjustment, um, and it's actually negative. The more touches, you get a slight decrease. Now, I know someone made a terrible argument on Twitter recently about no one with eight, 800 touches in college should be drafted. That's, that's, that's just wrong. But... And it does seem to me a slight adjustment down necessary if they stay in college too long and get a hell of a lot of touches. Mostly that's a slightly negative signal, but not enough that yeah, this adjustment is not going to... It's not going to push anyone outside the top 10 if everything else looks good, or even outside the top 3 if everything else looks good. It might just help rank them between the players up, blow them all behind them. Anyway, I'm also using total yards, so all the yards they created. A raw stat, I know, but it turned out to be useful in my testing. I'm using production score, because I'm in love with that thing. Yards per team pass attempt, their best season. I use their heights in the last seasons a lot more with running back, it turns out, when I went around this new model. Um, so their last and their best is included. So is their average total dominator, so that's rushing and receiving yards combined. 
Um, uh, rushing Dominator was not included. Um, to, uh, total Dominator over average. I did use that and also use Weight Adjusted Speed Score. Again, I presume you just slept through all of that. If you are interested in it, like I'm reading this off my database that you can get for free. It's pinned to my timeline. I put all of the information in the formula tab. So go go take a look, run the formula itself if you're interested. Um, but the results are soon to be updated in the database so you can see it. So after all that guff, what does that create? What is my current, not rankings, but t listing of running backs to the 2020 class? Well, let me just point out that this is my first model that actually put Saquon Barkley ahead of everyone else in his class. Normally, um, when I looked at Saquon Barkley's draft class, uh, what was that, 2018, right? Right? I can't remember that far. Penny was just more productive for his team than Barkley was. But Barkley clearly stood out, as we've mentioned before, in a number of other ways. Um, Royce Freeman, th those two guys, and Justin Jackson, um, for reasons we can talk about when I have uh, a more in-depth running back episode, and just some of their production metrics in that pre-draft model I mentioned, they were really productive totally throughout all their seasons. I wasn't adjusting for the amount they were touching or the long length they were staying in. I was adjusting for age, and all those guys are pretty young as well. Saquon Barkley was the youngest, so that was the best, but still. Um, but anyway, those guys always had some sort of edge because of basically because of volume uh, more than anything else. Um, I still do like all those guys, but uh, this model accurately put Saquon Barkley at the top of the tier, and it also put them significantly ahead of everyone. Um, and that's kind of what I find when I look at all classes. Now, I ha like where I haven't done the testing, the new model, the new running back pre-draft model, might be overfitted because I haven't tested it yet, and I was really just trying to get something that worked. I'm not a statistician; I'm an amateur. I was just looking for something that accurately described these classes. It looks like it's going to be more predictive than my previous models. Hopefully that's going to be true, but I I haven't even run my rudimentary full testing on it yet. So, you know, if a statistician comes in here, looks at it, they might he might poo-poo all over it. Probably would. But anyway, I like it. Um, what does it do to this tiers, this class? All right, let's just look at, what do you think? Top eight players? Uh, I can just read them off in order. Significantly ahead, not... A scoring as high as Saquon Barkley, but a bigger gap between him and everyone else in the class. Jonathan Taylor comes in at number one with 13 points. Saquon Barkley had like nearly 15, by the way. That's kind of the range, zero to 15. And that's kind of the range it does. Um, Jonathan Taylor scores about 13 points here, so significantly ahead. And again, the gap between Taylor and the next guy is significant. Um, and that might say something as well. As I learn more about this model, I might know more. And um, the next guy up is J.K. Dobbins, and that's where double-digit players end, interestingly, talking about the depth of this class. So it's Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins, followed by Zach Moss, who I have not heard anyone mention yet. So what up with that? From Utah, Zach Moss from downtown. Uh, just jumped into my top three, apparently. Eno Benjamin had the biggest adjustment down from my previous model. He was scoring 12 before, now he's scoring 9. But he still comes in as fourth. Uh, DeAndre Swift, very close behind him. And I, I think I kind of like Swift a lot. And Keyshawn Vaughn come next. So it's Taylor, Dobbins, Zach, Benjamin, Swift, then Vaughn. Then Cam Akers, who's been adjusted down. Actually, that's probably the biggest adjustment down from 1 to 7 here. 
then AJ Dillon comes in at eight. Now, let me be very, very clear on this. If you're upset that one guy is over the other guy, these are the guys who, like with my previous model, definitely stood out as good. So this is kind of the... Let me resort by my old model here. Apart from, like, Lamarck or Perrine, <laughs> who disappeared, um, these are the exact same guys in the top eight. Um, and Michael Preen just fell to nine or so. So again, like with production for wide receiver, I'm, I'm not sure it's highlighting better people. I'm hoping this is a better ranking. Um, and I definitely think I trust this model more than the ones I've been telling you I wouldn't, you know, I, I would throw away if I could. Well, I just did. I just threw it away and I came up with a better one. So Jonathan Taylor is currently at the top of the class. And um, one thing I already do know following Jared. Uh, on Twitter, what's his Twitter handle? Let me look it up here. He recently did some really interesting grinding work. Um, uh, yeah, Jay Wack, where are you? Jared Wackerly FF on Twitter. I don't believe that his Twitter handle is actually his name with FF, but it is J A R E D W A C K E R L E Y FF. Um, he recently did some work where he described. And we talked about this a little bit. This kind of stuff usually doesn't work out to be predictive, but it does describe, because of the, the amount of effort and talent he put into it, how difficult their schedule was compared to their team situation. And Jonathan Taylor seemed to have a lot of help from his team against weaker competition. So that, I think, is a knock against Jonathan Taylor and might be why he looks more productive. And that's helping him rise significantly above the others in this class and this new model. So that's something you should be aware of. Go check out Jared's work and see how much you want to weight that in your own designations. Um, but that's where he comes out for me. Uh, that might be the fault of it, but production is what I have right now. Jonathan Taylor has more of it than most um, and accurately comes out to the top. Again, these guys aren't being adjusted by weight-adjusted speed score right now. Um, so it will matter how athletic they all are. Um, but Akers, Swift, Vaughn, uh, Dobbins, I've heard all these guys mentioned in all the right places in all the right ways. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what the combine brings. Um, and yeah, if anyone knows any more about Zach Moss from Utah, apparently he good. Apparently he good. He kicked Remarkle Perrine at the top eight and rose to the top three um, with my pre-draft model. Um, so that's cool. <laughs> anyway guys um hopefully this was interesting not too nerdy at least you got a list of players in some sort of kind of ranking in a, a solid top tier um for this class at the running back position um feel free to check out the database i guess if you want to peruse them yourself again pin to my timeline just click through it's free um as always and will remain so uh, as long as i can keep going all right guys thanks very much i'll talk to you next week on the crossroads hopefully with guests Hope you enjoyed the Super Bowl, and I will see you next week. Bye. Yeah. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and they on the plays, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got their lanes, but I like that. Yeah.
Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight Back and forth, there is no order, they disorder more and more Because the players ain't no older, they some hoarders or some mortars Dropping bombs without no borders, they got that eye like mortar Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore I am at a crossroads Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical